0: again, Jamie, for all you've done with Laundry Love. I know my mom has been able to bring someone here, and just what a blessing it has been. And I know there are many more stories of the good things God is doing through it. So our scripture reading is from Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. That is page 803 in the Bible in the backs of the pews. Again, Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Susie, and thanks, Jamie, for those remarks there. It is uh, man, so good to be here this morning. I love snow in West Michigan. Love these beautiful uh, just white days and love having all of you here together in the room. Also, those of you who are tuning in uh, through our live stream, welcome. We are so glad you're here. This is the final Sunday in Advent, and next week we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus on both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So we'll be here uh, four o'clock on Christmas Eve, four to five service, and then We'll be here at our normal time, 10 to 11 on Christmas Day. And so hope you will join us for those wonderful celebrations. Well, as I said, this is the last sermon in our Mothers of Jesus Advent series. And I hope you have enjoyed the series as much as I have. It's such a privilege to highlight the remarkable women in Jesus' lineage and the beautiful stories of redemption That God weaves in their lives. Their stories of brokenness, bitterness, and betrayal set the perfect backdrop for Advent, a season where we're longing for a king to bring his peace into the chaos that so often reigns in our world. And I'm particularly grateful to Mark and Ken for showing us how these unique stories connect to the bigger story of redemption that we uh, celebrate. And this morning, we turn to the fifth and final woman in Jesus' genealogy, Mary, the actual mother of Jesus. And uh, all of these beautiful, unresolved stories come to their uh, resolution. All of the different mothers of Jesus, all their stories really come to their resolution in Luke 1 in a story no less remarkable than the others. So I can't wait to dig into our text this morning. I mean, I can't believe I get to do this for a living. This is so exciting. So I hope you have your Bible out in front of you and are ready to dig into Luke uh, chapter one. I want you to notice four things in our text this morning. Four things. I want you to see the high calling that God has for Mary. I want you to see the high cost Mary pays to be a part of this story. I want you to see the help that God offers for her during this uh, difficult, for this difficult calling. And I want you to finally see her absolutely stunning response to the call in verse uh, 38. My aim for this morning's sermon is that we too would answer the call, uh, answer God's call in our lives and find our place in God's epic story of redemption. And so let's pray as we dive into our text this morning. Father, it's so easy to get lost in the middle of our stories, to wonder uh, what you're doing in the uncertainty and messiness of our lives. Uh, it's sometimes difficult to believe that you make beautiful things out of our broken stories. And so what our time to, to gather this morning, looking at Mary and her story, Help us see uh, the beautiful things that you're doing in our lives and world, and the beautiful invitation you you give each of us to be a part of that beautiful work that you're doing. So would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you speak to us through your word? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Luke 1, if you were there in your Bible, you're going to want to... Follow right along, if you're in the Pew Bibles, to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be reading, uh, we're going to be digging into 26 uh, through 38, I believe, here. And the first thing I want you to notice in our text this morning is the high calling God has for Mary. God loves to invite women to be a part of his story Of redemption. We know this because God sends the angel Gabriel to Mary to invite her to play the leading role in the resolution of the stories of Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and the women that we've been studying through this series, the women in Jesus' genealogy. She is the only one of these women who receives an angelic visitation from no less than. Gabriel, right? One of the few angels that has a name in Scripture. We learned back in verse 19 that he stands in the very presence of God. So think of the most important person you know sending a special envoy to your house with a mission of the utmost importance. That's what's happening here. As Angel Gabriel has been sent from the throne room of God and sent to this. Teenage girl in a backwater town, in a backwater part of the Roman Empire. Just a small, seemingly unimportant person Uh, in the grand scheme of things. God sends his messenger with a special message for her. She's singled out for a distinctive honor, a message from God himself. And notice what the angel says to her. He says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This word, favored comes uh, from the Greek root word for grace. She's going to be the recipient of a spectacular gift from God, right? She is graced. She is blessed. She is favored. And to top it all off, the angel assures her that God is with her. What, what an incredible opportunity. So how does Mary respond? Uh, we see uh, the answer to that in verse Twenty-eight, but she was greatly troubled. Verse twenty-nine, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She responds like any of us would have responded under the circumstances with utter shock. Right? She was not expecting to meet with an angel any more than you or I would on our way home from church today. This was absolutely shockingly out of the ordinary. Her world had just been totally blown up by this angelic visitation. Sure, there were stories of angels, right, being sent to people, and the Bible stories she grew up hearing, uh, but those stories were hundreds of years in Israel's past, just vaguely out in the distance. So in this state of shock, right, her mind is Racing, right? The English uh, word the ESV translates discern is dialogizomai, which is an interesting word. It's the word for debating or reasoning. This is no superstitious, primitive person willing to accept anything. She's trying to reason this out and wonder how on earth did a supernatural being just come and deliver this message to her? Like any of us, she's trying to make sense of you know, what she knows to be the normal way the world works. And this dramatic, supernatural intervention into her life. She's trying to work it out. She's trying to reason it out. She's trying to think it out and discern what on earth is happening in my life. What is God up to? And how do I respond? Uh, seeing her distressed, the angel Gabriel reassures her once again that she has found favor with God. And then goes on to explain what that favor is in verses 30 through 33. Uh, so if you're reading along, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom... There will be no end. That is a pretty remarkable opportunity that Mary is being invited into. Basically, in a nutshell, she is going to be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah whose kingdom will never end. Generations of women, including Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba, have waited for God to send his deliverer to bring his everlasting kingdom and fulfill the ancient promise to crush the head of the serpent back in Genesis 315, the angel Gabriel is here to inform Mary that she is going to be the mother of the Messiah who will finally rescue his people and set the world to right. A greater privilege, favor, or blessing can hardly be conceived of. I mean, this is absolutely mind-blowing. So if you're wondering uh, what God thinks about women, if you're wondering if you, as a woman in particular, can have an impact in the kingdom of God, I think this text dramatically answers that question. Mary has God's favor and a promise to be with her and gives her the most important role imaginable in his story. And she's part of a long line of remarkable women that, include, that God includes in his beautiful story of redemption. Uh, This is one of the key texts that we study in depth in our Kalos Women's Ministry tract as we think about the important role that women have in the home and church and society. Pastor Matthew Cruz likes to say that women can be and are disciple-making forces in their places of influence. And as I look around this room, I can honestly say... Uh, Here at Redemption City Church, we wouldn't exist without the remarkable women God has brought to our church and who have invested their lives in the beautiful ministry and mission of Redemption City Church. Not only is Mary called to this beautiful and important work, uh, but we see women throughout the Old Testament stepping into crucial roles in the life and ministry of of the local church and we have been so blessed by the ladies in our church and the important role that they have played. So I hope you can see the uh, and appreciate the high calling that God has for Mary and and for the women in our lives, but I also want you to see that it comes with a high cost. Right? With the high calling comes a high cost. Mary is going to pay a high cost to be a part of this story. This promised birth is going to put Mary in a very precarious position. Even if a teenage girl gets pregnant out of wedlock today, right? People are quick to rush them off to Planned Parenthood for an abortion, right? We wouldn't want to ruin, right, this teenage girl's prospects with the burden of that kind of responsibility, right? We look around, we go, you don't want to ruin your life, you know, your prospects, job, college, all that ministry by some untimely, unwanted birth or pregnancy, Uh, But in the culture of the first century that Mary grew up in, the stakes were even higher than the world in which we live today. A teenage girl who got pregnant out of wedlock would not only be the gossip of the local village, she would be a social outcast without prospects, destitute as we've seen in the other women in Jesus' genealogy. Such women had a very precarious place in the ancient Near East and the first century culture in which Mary grew up. We don't have to guess How Joseph responded to the news about her pregnancy because Matthew's gospel tells us before hearing from the angel, he planned to divorce her as quietly as possible and cast her off. Uh, She was on her own, going to be on her own at that point. So accepting this call on her life to be the mother of the Messiah came with a significant cost, right? Who would believe her about her baby's true identity, her reputation, would be dragged through the mud, her integrity called into question, her safe and comfortable life dramatically impacted by the responsibility of caring for a baby in less than ideal circumstances. Mary would really have to count the cost, and the same is true for us today, right? We all have to count the cost of following Jesus and figure out what that looks like for our own life. This is uh, kind of fresh for me. After having a conversation with my wife on Thursday on our way to a Christmas party about whether we should take an emergency foster care placement into our home on the very last minute. I'm in the mood, if you will, to go to a Christmas party, enjoy all the familiar comforts of the season, enjoy some good food, some good music, some good stories. Like, you know, take it easy. You know, Why would I want to take in a kid who's gotten kicked out of two residential facilities and run away from another foster care home? You know, I'm thinking it's Christmas for crying out loud. Let's enjoy the season. That is, until I started remembering the actual grittier stories we've been studying during Advent and the real meaning of Christmas, God coming down into the messiness of our lives and world because we could never make it back to him on our own, right? Then I had to start counting the cost as the pastor who loves to talk about how God works in these gritty, difficult, challenging situations. Will, will I count the cost? Um, are we willing tonight to open our home to someone in need of a place to stay? I might lose out on some comfort, some predictability and control over how this holiday season shapes our family. Right? I had to count the cost. What about you? What, what do you have to give up to follow Jesus as you look at the prospect of following Jesus in your own life and the opportunities God has put in front of you. What, what costs do you have to count? What are some of the things that you have to weigh, uh, that you have to measure? Uh, let me give you maybe a few suggestions a few things to think about here as you're thinking about the high cost of following uh, Jesus. Uh, maybe you have to give up some of your comfort, right? We live in West Michigan. This is such a safe comfortable, wonderful, family-friendly community, right? And so following Jesus means sometimes we kind of buck that trend and we we welcome people into our lives or home that that might be a little less comfortable and safe. Maybe it has to do with security, right? Maybe you're gonna to have to step outside of the, the safe, comfortable places that you've been. Maybe it's control, right? You're gonna to have to take your hands off the wheel. You're gonna to have to open yourself up to risk and challenges and difficulties that are gonna really threaten your control of your life. You have to let God have a say. Maybe it's your reputation, right? Being a Christian, representing God amongst your people and your friends and your family could be costly, right? That could be challenging, um, you know, we talk about security, we talk about safety, we talk about autonomy, freedom, right? Just to do our own thing in our own lives and not be interfered with, not be, uh, have the inconvenience of other people impinging upon us, right? There are all these costs that we count as a Christian to open our lives to what God is doing in the world and be a part of what he is doing. So we've seen the high call and the high cost of being a part of God's story of Next, I want you to notice the help that God offers for this difficult calling. Uh, first, I want you to notice God's patience with Mary's questions. Notice in verse 34, Mary asked a very simple question. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Right? She understands how pregnancy works and can say that there is no way she could be pregnant by any normal means. And so the angel patiently explains the miracle of the virgin birth to her in verse 35. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Right? The spirit who hovered over the original creation of the world and the God who spoke the universe into existence is going to ensure that her child is the very son of God. This is one of the greatest mysteries at the heart of the Christian faith. Right, God becoming a helpless baby, the infinite somehow reduced to a single cell in his mother's womb, the omnipotent one helpless and vulnerable, the eternal one stepping down into time, it's mind-boggling. And my point this morning is that God is totally fine with Mary's questions as she seeks to ponder the the impossible, right? God becoming a human being, right? Mary, the angel is totally fine with questions. It's okay for you to have questions. Questions are part of having a mature Christian faith. They indicate that you're taking it seriously, that you're thinking and reasoning it out, like Mary, doing some of that logic, that logismi, doing some of the reasoning, some of the thinking, some of the reflective work that we need to do as Christians. I love how Tim Keller says this, and I found this to be such a helpful quote. He says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask Hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's whole faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long deliberation. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts. Not only their own, but their friends and their neighbors'. It is no longer sufficient to hold beliefs just because you inherited them. Only if you struggle long and hard with the objections to your faith will you be able to provide grounds for your belief to skeptics, including yourself, that are plausible rather than ridiculous or offensive. And just as important for our current situation, such a process will lead you even after you come to a position of strong faith to respect and understand those who doubt. See, see, God is perfectly fine as we seek to wrestle with some of the great mysteries of the faith. God is fine with Mary's questions, and he comes alongside of her, answers the questions and objections and difficulties that she has. The second thing I want you to notice is God's provision to people, uh, to, God's provision of, of people to support her on her journey of faith and a safe place to land during this unique season of her life. Notice we read in verse 36, And behold... Your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary is going to be, as we've already said, in a very awkward position, unwed and pregnant. But mercifully, God has already provided a person for her to stay with, her relative Elizabeth, and a place for her to stay during that pregnancy as she is actually stepping into this season. Probably the only person who would believe her story was someone who had experienced the miracle herself. In this case, Elizabeth had become pregnant in her old age after being barren her whole entire life. And her fiancé, Joseph, finally was able to believe her as well once an angel told him that the child that she carried... Uh, was, the, was from God himself. So be on the lookout for people and places that God is going to provide for your spiritual uh, journey. Uh, this last week, our, our uh, family went with the Vosses and Bergens to watch a, a modern musical reproduction of John Bunyan's classic story, Pilgrim's Process. It was pretty stunning. I, I highly recommend it. It was a uh, remarkable, uh, remarkable adaptation Um, If you know anything about Pilgrim's Progress, the main character, aptly uh, named uh, Christian, begins in the city of destruction and is on a lifelong journey to the celestial city. Along the way, he meets a whole series of friends to support and encourage him at pivotal moments. Uh, People with names like Evangelist and Faithful and Hopeful, all these wonderful companions to support him on his journey. He also visits a number of places strategically positioned by the king to help him on his way. The Wicked Gate, the Interpreter's House, the Palace Beautiful and beautiful, in the Delectable Mountains. Uh, John Bunyan's classic story is a beautiful testimony to the people and places God provides for the refreshment of his people. And so I just challenge you uh, by way of application, right? are you on the lookout for people and places God is going to put in your path uh, to help you or are you so preoccupied by your own problems you're missing out on God's provision, right? God wants to put people, drop people into your lives at just those wonderful opportune moments, and God wants you to land in certain places at certain seasons of your life to help you grow and mature in your place. We hope Redemption City is one of those places, a safe place for you to land at whatever season you're going through, and we hope there's some wonderful people that would come alongside of you, uh, be an encouragement to you in the season in which you're walking. So we've seen the high call uh, that is on Mary's life. We've seen the high cost that she's dealing with, we've seen the help that God provides for that call. And finally, how will Mary respond? I want you to notice Mary's stunning response in verse 38. It's, it's remarkable. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That is a remarkably bold, remarkably courageous response to all that God is calling Mary into. I don't know if you recognize and can just put the weight of all she's facing on her shoulders, this young teenage girl, unexpected pregnancy. Life has just been totally blown up, and yet she's on board. She's down to ride. She's like, may it be as the Lord said, now the whole notion, I know, of being a servant today or, or a handmaiden, as the old uh, KJV put it, has been subjected to a great degree of ridicule in our culture, right? We, we all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, but no one wants to give up their own freedom, right? Their own autonomy, and we certainly don't want to be a servant of anybody. But it's Mary's willingness, right, to be a part of God's story of redemption, to be the Lord's servant, that is the very thing that allows her to be a part of a story much bigger than herself. How does Mary have the kind of confidence and faith to step into what God is calling her? She's already received God's favor, her grace, before she's done anything. She recognized God's goodness, that God is for her, and she's already been told that God is going to be with her whatever she faces. She knows the one person in the universe who could be absolutely trusted with this kind of vulnerability with this kind of risk in her life and her willingness to be a part of what God is doing in the world has absolutely massive mind-boggling and mind-boggling implications that we could only briefly uh, touch on this morning here. Uh, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, so I wanted to share a picture this morning Uh, from Grace Remington that's been making the way around uh, social media for the last few years. And and I love this picture um, because it communicates so many beautiful realities. In this picture, we see Eve, uh, the fruit in her hand, naked and ashamed, utterly dejected, her shoulders slumped in failure and her eyes downcast. And I think we can all At least some moments in our lives relate to her overwhelming feeling of guilt. Like she is just burdened down by the weight of what she has just done in rebelling against God, all of the implications that come with that, right? I think we can all relate to the ways that we have made a mess of our lives. I think we've all found ourselves in places like Eve where we just want to hide, right? Our shame is just too great. And We just feel absolutely miserable. I I love how this picture just captures Eve there in all of that weight and burden of guilt and shame, the the serpent wrapped around her leg after tempting her and seducing her. Uh, But in this beautiful picture, there's a contrast, right? You have Eve in all of her fallenness. uh, But this picture speaks so powerfully to the reversal of Eve's sin in the garden, uh, notice Mary standing next to her here, and just as Eve played a significant fall in humanity, significant role in humanity's fall, so Mary will play just as significant of a role in humanity's salvation. There she is, uh, baby in her belly, the Messiah about to be born uh, to bring God's redemption and salvation to the world. Where Eve was deceived by an angelic being and fled from god and hid in the garden right mary is given good news by an angel and gives birth to emmanuel who will be god with us right where eve was seduced by the serpent mary triumphs over the serpent by bringing the one who would crush his head and bring his victory into the world where eve was deceived by eating from the fruit in the garden eating from a tree in the garden mary's son jesus would die on a tree to reverse the curse of sin and death. What we see here is God's beautiful and poetic reversal of all of the effects of sin and the fall coming through Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary's willingness to be a part of God's story opens the way for you and I to be a part of God's kingdom that Jesus inaugurated through his death and resurrection. We don't have to sit under the weight of our guilt and shame like Eve. Because of Jesus' death in our place, we too can be favored. And because of his resurrection, we know that God is with us by his Spirit. So when that emergency foster care placement request came our way, we already knew we had God's favor and that God would be with us. However, things turned out. And we now have a new member of our family sharing wheels with us, sleeping 15 hours a day, Well, she recovers and running errands with my wife, Jamie. We don't know the road ahead of us, um, and we don't know the road ahead for her, but we do know that that uncertainty and high cost didn't prevent Mary from being a part of God's story of redemption, and it shouldn't stop us, and it didn't stop us either, and it shouldn't stop you from stepping in to all that God has for us. Uh, So what would it look like for each of us to live this out on Monday morning, to see our lives reflect this beautiful picture that we have in the life of Mary, her willingness to be a part of what God's story of redemption. What would it look like for the assurance that we have found favor with God through the cross to come home to us, right? Where are you going to have to find spaces in your week to remind yourself of God's unmerited favor that we experience through uh, the cross, that we are God's beloved children and to keep that front and center as we enter into a weary world full of conflict and full of chaos and full of messiness. We have to start with the assurance that we have God's favor through Jesus. What would it look like to live with the assurance that God is with us as we step out in faith to follow him? How would it change the decisions you make, uh, the situations you enter, uh, the conversations that you have this week if God is with you what difference would that make? Uh, what cost do you have to count in your own life to follow Jesus? Maybe you're wrestling with some right now, this morning, right? What do you need to give up to follow Jesus? Maybe there's something that is holding you back from wholeheartedly following Jesus. And the Holy Spirit has just kind of been putting his finger on it, maybe even this morning. And there's a beautiful opportunity to, to step into that calling that God has. And finally, what is God calling, what is God inviting you to step into this week? Um, It'd be pretty easy to just kind of head into Christmas and just kind of coast uh, easily and uh, enjoy the eggnog and enjoy the presents under the tree. Uh, But we have an opportunity to be a part of a much bigger story, a story of redemption that God has been weaving in the lives of each of these interesting women that we've been studying in the lives of Tamar. Uh, the lives of Ruth, the life of Bathsheba, the life of Mary. Uh, and it's not a story that ended with them. It's a story that each one of us is swept up into as we um, put our faith and trust in Jesus and step into the big kingdom calling that he has for our lives Oh, so that we would be a church that can say uh, with Mary as God puts opportunities in our path that we are the Lord's servant. Let it be according to your word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these beautiful portraits, God, of of broken people, of finding a Savior who meets them right in the midst of the messiness of their lives, sweeps them up into a much greater story, and ultimately into your plan to save the world. We thank you for Mary, her beautiful story, and her beautiful testimony, and we pray for each of us as we have an opportunity this morning, give us an opportunity to reflect on the Calling that you have for our lives, the, the cost that we have, maybe the, uh, the help that you have put into our lives, God, and ultimately, God, an opportunity for us to say yes to the things that you are inviting us to. So, would you come by the power of your Spirit? Would you minister to our hearts? Would you provide encouragement and comfort to those in need of comfort? Would you prod those who need a little bit of a challenge or encouragement or a rebuke this morning? Um, And God, would you stir us all up to love and good works here as a church. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.